hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. All I really want to do is to be with my husband and travel the world. Is that even possible? Yes, it is possible. We know it's possible because not only are we doing it, but also many others are too. On today's Queer Money, we're talking with Allison and Allie of All Options Considered. Allison and Allie are a lesbian couple, 10 years apart in age, who decided they wanted to achieve financial independence and retire early so they too could travel. Allison and Allie shared how they came to this decision, how they achieved their goal with a healthy dose of mistakes along the way, and how they're financing and budgeting their travels around the globe. If you've ever wondered about how you'd get dental checkups on the other side of the world, or if you should get the upgraded package with leather seats and seat heaters, this Queer Money is for you. Let's get on with the show. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere, so banking fits into your life, not the other way around. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. All right. So today we're interviewing a couple that I'm pretty excited about because (laughs) we've actually been kind of watching their journey as it's been unfolding. We kind of, I think we caught the tail end of their preparation into sort of of a new life, joining the FIRE community and uh, retiring independent (laughs) and traveling the world. So we're excited to be hosting Allison and Allie today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. It's it's nice to finally catch up with y'all. Absolutely. Likewise. Uh, so yeah, Allison and Allie are part of the uh, Queer Money Facebook group. Uh, we've been engaging with them, I think, for we're probably going on over a year now. And at the time, I think when mm-hmm. we start, first started interacting with you, you were both still working full time. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Actually, I retired last year in April and then Allie retired in September. Of 2018. Nice. Yep. Gotcha. nice. So when did you get the spark to decide like, hey, I don't necessarily want to continue working this way or want to kind of change the look of our lives? When did that inspiration yeah. start to come to you? Well, it, I was raised by a, an accountant dad. So I've always been pretty mindful of money. Mm-hmm. And um, Allie and I have been together, well, at that time, 13 years. And I'm 10 years older than Allie. I'm 55 right now. She's 45, just turned 45, had a birthday. So we have been watching our family retire, you know, my dad retire, my grandparents retire. And it it seemed like everybody had health issues right after they retired. So with our age difference, it was really important that Allie and I continue enjoying our lives into retirement. So early retirement was definitely always on the table. We had really stressful jobs. So when we kind of all put the math together, we just thought, let's hang it up and do it. Nice. One of the fun things is um, when we very first started talking about early retirement, we just basically had the thought, well, we should retire together. We should retire at the same time. And since I'm 10 years younger than Allison, I remember thinking, cool, I'm I'm retiring early no matter what. That is awesome. <laughs> nice. yeah, but it was really an evolving thing. And it didn't get to this kind of full bloom, that concept that we have now until really last year. Yeah. So it almost sounds like there was uh, maybe a little bit of a regular conversation in your lives around retirement. And that's maybe what sparked this idea of you wanting to retire early. That's true, though. 
it probably isn't accurate to say in those words that we were always having that conversation, but we were always talking about we're the kind of nerds that would have the what do we want the next five years to look like? That discussion we probably had it every six months <laughs> from awesome. the beginning. So yeah, we were thinking, okay, so how much money do you need when you're going to retire? And I kept looking at the numbers thinking, well, I'm not quite sure how much we're going to need. Mm-hmm. And I hope we have enough by the time I'm 65. So we always were trying to put more money in our 401ks. We, at some point, took our three-bedroom house and turned it into a rental and moved into a smaller condo. Oh, wow. Um, and then... We inherited a, a house for my aunt when she passed away in 2007, and at some point we turned that into a rental. But in the end, rentals weren't working for us, both because it wasn't the right capital ratio to the amount of rent that we could get, and we didn't really like being landlords. Mm-hmm. So we sold those things and folded that money into our larger portfolio and, and started working on investing in the stock market and, and ETFs and and that's how we really, and along with this long bull run market that we've been in, that's how we kind of finally came to our final fire or retirement number. I will say that one of the things that I absolutely love that is so contradictory in general to our community, but also to, I think, the general population, is that when you had the opportunities to expand your life, your footprint, your spending, mm-hmm. you almost went the opposite direction. <laughs> you use it as an opportunity to say, how can we actually downsize or reduce our spending so that we could increase our net worth and get closer to that financial independence, that retirement number that would allow you to have the freedom that you want to have and not have or be attached to a life of things or a life of having to work constantly to pay bills. Yeah, but when we turned things into rental properties, our our initial home into a rental property, we decided that we wanted to simplify our lives. Right. Because, you know, having a rental property and being a landlord, you're obviously adding more responsibilities in, in some ways. So, downsizing to a smaller condo made a lot of sense to us. And, you know, by doing that, you had to get rid of furniture and the condo only has one parking space. So you get down to one car and it just made a lot more sense for us just to kind of de-stress as our work got more difficult and more time consuming. It was easier to have fewer things. So let me ask you from ideation to execution, how long was that from the time you decided to start thinking about retiring early to the time that you actually did? That's kind of a tough question because, you know, in the beginning, we didn't have the vocabulary for what we're doing now. We didn't stumble upon anything that was called early retirement movement or financial independence until probably like 2014. Yeah, 2014, I started reading a lot about it. But again, I didn't really have the nerve to actually do the math. So for us, we think the better way for us to say it is we sort of stumbled into early retirement. We stumbled into financial (laughs) independence by just having those conversations regularly and being open to 
all of those types of concepts and thinking a lot about investing and wanting to be more in the stock market and yeah. wanting to explore ideas for passive income. Yeah, I, but we were not super intentional. We also were not always super successful in that process. True. We made a lot of mistakes for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think I, we all do that, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I basically had done a ton of research and finally had gotten up the nerve in the summer of 2017 to actually run our numbers and do the math and see what our, our net worth was where that was at and how much our expenses were. And I basically came home from work one day and said to Allie, you said, why not now? I said, how would you feel about retiring tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Let me log into my computer and tell my boss. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, yes, right. <laughs> let's do that. Woo. To what extent, whether you didn't know how to articulate it or not, you were having yeah. some sort of a, a money conversation. Um, yes. And that was probably something that evolved a little bit over time and you found better words and got more clarity yes. around that. To what extent do you think you can attribute stumbling upon these opportunities or leveraging them to the best of the, your abilities because you had that conversation? A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. That's the only reason I think we got to this point. We were always having those conversations and asking, yeah, you know, why can't we do that? Should we try that? What would happen if we invested in that or tried that? We had those conversations constantly. Yeah, from the beginning. Allie and I have always been really good about broaching a particular subject, particularly with money, looking at all the different angles to it, making the decision and then moving forward together. And, and by having a habit of doing that from the beginning of our relationship, when I came to her and said, how would you like to retire now? She did not even have to think about it. Hmm. She could trust that if I came to her and said, I think we can do this now, she has trusted in me that I had done the right math <laughs> and, and I hadn't, you know, accidentally moved a decimal point the wrong way. Or... <laughs> <laughs> so we have, a, we have a, a really strong trust in one another in that regard and a confidence in one another in decision-making like that. And do you think that having that level of confidence in each other when it comes to your finances has helped in other aspects of your relationship? I think it's, yeah. it's all related. Well, the thing that occurs to me is over the years, we've had different family members who have had health issues. Mm -hmm. And it's been really easy for us to be able to say, you know, yes, we're going to go take care of my aunt who's dying of liver cancer. And yes, I'm going to take three months off and go do that. And then Allie joins me two months into it and stays with me right through to my aunt's death. Additionally, she had an aunt of her own that, that got pancreatic cancer. And we were able to support each other through that as well. Wow, that's um, awesome. So I think the confidence that we have in the finances definitely rolls into other areas. Right. Yeah. So I wonder from sort of a broader perspective, there aren't a lot of, at least from what David and I see, there aren't a lot of LGBTQ people who sort of follow this path. Until a couple of years ago, we didn't know of many LGBTQ personal finance bloggers or people who would necessarily say that they were part of the FIRE community, a topic that our community doesn't talk about. Did mm. you sort of have any sort of limiting beliefs that that kind of opportunity was available to you as an LGBTQ couple? I don't know if we assign that specifically to being an LGBTQ couple, but 
you know, to being human beings, I think we probably all have one or more of those types of things. For me, my issue, my limiting belief that I sort of carry and work with, talk to Allison about a lot is coming from the perspective of being a welfare kid with absentee parents, you know, and then having a lot of self-esteem issues relating to that, having that affect my ability to do well in school, and then being the person trying to work my way through college, having it take too long, ending up with $43,000 in student loan debt. I was just finishing that up when I met Allison. So we talked about money all the time and how important it was to me to let that go and to not attach it to my self-esteem. And then, you know, the importance of having the good job, the good job title, the right amount of money in your 401k, all of those things were very attached to my self-esteem. So there's a huge connection there to how do you let all of that go? How do you ground yourself without those kinds of superficial things? So yeah. we've talked a lot about that, and Allison has her own limiting beliefs as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, each of us, you know, if you, if you kind of compare it to a limiting belief as far as being um, lesbian, we both had pretty good experiences through our coming out, but we both have this unique personal experience, Allie, and her upbringing. And I'm dyslexic, oh. so I struggled really profoundly in school with my learning disabilities. And it affected my self-esteem greatly. Mm -hmm. I basically couldn't get into college because I didn't have the grades and, and my SAT scores were so bad. And, and I was able to finally get in, thank goodness, to my mom. <laughs> um, there's, there's something called the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 that says that educational systems can't discriminate against disabled students. Mm -hmm. And because I was designated as disabled, I was able to get into college under what this particular university had, which was like a 2% exception rule, 2% of the people applying, they had to accept if they were disabled. But, you know, I dropped out after two years because there just wasn't the support system for somebody with my type of dyslexia mm -hmm. in the 80s. So that really kind of delayed my self-confidence and my maturing. But in the end, it ended up working out okay. <laughs> Those are our limiting beliefs that yeah. we carry with us. But we have been so fortunate to have always felt like out, proud, happy, yeah. you know, members of the queer community, no issues around work, I think, for either one of us. Well, I, I didn't have any issues of being out at work. But part of that is Allie and I grew up on the West Coast. Uh, We're both originally from California, and I've lived in Washington State for almost 30 years and, and Allie almost 15 years. And because of that, we've really lived in some liberal areas, mm -hmm. and we feel really, really fortunate because of that. Both of our companies that we last worked for were very LGBTQ positive. Nice. Um, so that was never an issue on the job. And for our us. families have been, yeah, you know, for the most part, completely supportive and loving. So yeah. we don't have those issues. We uh, yeah, other than the initial shock of yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, this is news. <laughs> yeah. We've been lucky. Yeah, we have been lucky. So it does sound like you had some limiting beliefs, though they might have come from different areas. How do you think that? those beliefs manifested themselves in your financial situation before you started to have these conversations about money? 
they were just probably always part of those conversations. Kind well, of, we would talk about lifestyle inflation and yeah. what did our friends' condo look like? What right. kind of vacation were, were our friends going on? And yeah, you know, what kind of cool vacation home were people getting or whatever? We would have those conversations. Yeah, we kind of coined the phrase, we were keeping up with the boys. Uh, the boys is <laughs> fabulous boys. I hear the Z in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that whenever we have limiting beliefs, we find ourselves stuck in a mode of comparison. And if I don't feel good enough about myself, if I don't love myself enough, I'm always going to say, well, what would make me better? Well, if that person's better than me, I have to do what they're doing. And that person's better than me. I have to kind of, I have to copy them and do something like that. I know from our perspective, and you guys have, have heard us say this over and over again, that that's how our limiting beliefs manifested themselves in our spending was that we needed to constantly try to keep up. But like with you, the boys, yeah. yeah, with the boys, well, I, I, we can confess that we did end up with a car that had leather seats, heated leather seats. My fault. <laughs> <laughs> I needed the navigation system as the passenger in the car. Right? And the leather heated seats just came with the navigation system. Right. That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a package. <laughs> So I do have a, a question. You you got to this idea of wanting to retire early, which I think almost everyone to a certain degree fantasizes about that. But you guys were taking the steps to do that. But then you basically took this a step further and said, we're not just going to plop down on the beach. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, that's what you, you guys are all over the place. Yeah, we are. Well, you know, the key for us really feeling confident in the money and really feeling like this is a change in our lives that can last hopefully forever. Yes. I'm really key to that was saying that means we have to give up our condo. We have to liquidate that money and put it in the market. We have to have a really, really seriously detailed budget and stick to it. Yep. And honestly, the way to make that work was this concept of geo arbitrage where if we spend four months in Southeast Asia, that means we can spend three months in Europe. And as long as we keep moving and we always, the toughest thing to manage, I think, is our housing expense. Mm -hmm. So we have to keep moving and make sure we are always under budget or on budget for housing. Food is pretty easy for us to manage. Yeah. And one of the ways we get into trouble, I think, is by having friends on the road, oh, you know, that's when we want to go out more and we start acting like tourists yeah. a little bit more. Right. So for the most part, this is a nomadic, home-free, geo-arbitrage lifestyle that is super budget-focused. And it's easier right now for us to live that way than to stay in Seattle, for example, or right. you know, be in California or something like that. Yeah. A lot of folks, when they get to the point of deciding they're going to take the leap and retire, they decide to move out of a high cost of living area into a low cost of living area. But because we had been traveling really consistently every two years on these longer vacations, we really had gotten the travel bug. Mm -hmm. And and we thought through all of our research and all of the budget work that we were doing that we could blend staying in different countries around the world and stay in or under budget. And Allie's right. We blow our budget when we've got friends with us. So <laughs> I say we want to do one thing every five days, not five things in one day. <laughs> right, right. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts 
have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. So I was just going to ask, you use this term geo-arbitrage just in a sentence or two. Can you kind of explain what that is? We get the concept, but I want to make sure that for those of you who are listening, you understand what it really is that they're doing. And I think one of the reasons why I want this explanation is for many people who live a nomadic life or those individuals who do retire early and they do travel a lot, the assumption is, oh, you just must be rich. So maybe you can explain a little bit around that. (laughs) Well, we're certainly not rich. What we're trying to do is target different countries that have a very low cost of living associated with them and balance that with countries that might be a dream country that has a slightly higher cost of living. And over balancing over the two, we average an expenditure on, let's say, an Airbnb of $50 a night. So we've been able to spend $25 a night in Thailand, but then we're going to spend maybe $100 a night when we go into Scotland. Right. But the idea is, so arbitrage is figuring out how to have a, a financial advantage and geo is geographically. So we're geographically financially taking advantage of lower costs of living and housing in one country, balancing that with going to higher cost of living places. We have to keep on the move because there are visa limitations pretty much everywhere. So, which is fine. We're, we're not trying to go, you know, live full time in, in Thailand by any stretch. Not yet. Um, (laughs) Someday maybe. Clearly by your Instagram profile (laughs) though, you guys love that area. (laughs) Lots of, lots of pictures on there. Options considered feed, which are awesome. Yeah. We yeah. seem to love pretty much everywhere, which is a funny thing about us. But yeah, we're we're happy, positive, appreciative travelers wherever we go. So um, there are very few places that we have not enjoyed or found a way to enjoy. Sure. Nice. So I've got some questions, and they're not necessarily related. So, um, so I guess in order to do this, you must. I'm assuming you must do considerable research before you go to a new location, and you must have a very strict budget, I would assume. Is that correct? Yes, I'm looking yes, at, I'm and looking at yes, it. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, the research is, I'll say, that's my department. Um, I get to do all the travel planning. So the research happens to be my passion. This whole nomadic budget-focused lifestyle is perfect for us because I'm in love with research and travel planning, and Allison's in love with budgeting. Good for us. So nice. we, we yeah. get to balance Compliment that. each other. <laughs> yeah. So when we started this concept for what are we going to do for the first six months, we're going to start out in lower cost of living places. So we kind of struggled with where should we go? Southeast Asia, Mexico, South America, and did this whole crazy research process that took tons of time, which was so much fun. And in the end, we decided let's start out in Southeast Asia. So I did research on all the countries, but we had to keep it to about five months because we have summer plans with Allison's mom and my sister and that sort of thing. So it was really fun to do all the research on all of those countries, look at things like cost of living, visa allowances, 
any discrimination or laws that happen to be on the books for LGBTQ people. That's a big deal for us, but we're pretty willing to explore most types of places as long as we know how to be safe mm-hmm. and stay within our budget. Yep. So that's kind of the higher level of research that I'll do. And, you know, we look a little bit at what are the fun things to do, but honestly, that's not what we're focused on. Right. It's more just what's a good neighborhood with a park, Yep. maybe a river, somewhere to take a walk every day. Can we be by a grocery store and can we find a place to live that's safe and within our budget? Gotcha. Do you have a prescription now that you've been doing this for a while? Do you have a sort of a prescription that you follow? The sites that you go to to do your research, the kind of indications you look for? Yeah, I have different sites that I look at for kind of political issues and LGBTQ issues that come up. And then we have our kind of cost of living indexes that we check and things like that. And then, you know, just for fun, I also have other travel bloggers that I'll, I'll look at what have they found when they've gone to certain places because the yeah. world has been well-traveled already. Yeah. So we'll also read the travel blogs from other people who are living similar lifestyles or who just love to travel. And my guess is at this point, since you've been doing it so amazingly, <laughs> you probably have a community of other people that you would consider friends, kind of share and toss ideas around with. We are building that and that's been that's been kind of one of the most fun bonuses of this lifestyle and people have asked us, you know, aren't you going to be lonely yeah. out there on the road? And sure, yes and no, but we are finding a lot of people who may not have anything to do with the fire community, may not have anything attached to the LGBTQ community, but just either love to travel or are living a nomad life. And we are getting to know those yeah. people and having lots of fun with that. Yeah. Yes. And in, in Chiang Mai, we, we hooked up with a straight couple and they're fire blogging as well. And also doing nomad blogging and um, they're out of England. Oh, that's cool. Nice. nice. Yeah. So we met up with them one night and we're close friends. We talk all the time. We talk all the time oh, online. Cool. <laughs> awesome. We also met, we met a, a like the first fully financial independent expat living abroad, traveling all the time. This woman we met in Phuket. Yeah. So we're finding, you know, by accident and on purpose, we're finding people like that in lots of different places and really enjoying those connections and learning from other people. Yeah. Being on social media and posting pretty regularly has actually really helped us not feel alone. Nice. Nice. Yeah. There there are good benefits to social media. Right. You have a Facebook group that kind of focuses a little bit on this too, right? We have a Facebook page. Okay. um, And it's all options considered that we do post on regularly. Okay. Yeah. So we defined geo arbitrage, but we've mentioned the word fire a couple of times and I don't know that everybody that's listening understands what that is, but I think it's a contentious topic of how you define it. So yeah. I'm curious how Allison and Allie define fire. <laughs> <laughs> it is a contentious topic, yeah. how you define it. And there are retirement cops out there. Yeah. So we're careful about that a little retirement bit. Police. So fire stands for financially independent retire early. And the definition of retire, as far as we're concerned, for us, we, we're going to define that as we don't ever want to have a job again. 
And, and by the way, if you retire and you want to have a job or a side hustle good or for you. monetize your blog, good on you. Totally support that. Yeah. <laughs> no judgment. Yeah. But we've, we've, we're talking about this the other day and, and we kind of want to change the FIRE acronym to financially independent through responsible expenditures. Richard, those are big, crazy <laughs> words, girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So David's trying to change it to financial independence, retire entrepreneur. <laughs> And that's just because from my perspective, the vast majority of individuals who are a part of the FIRE community are still earning money through some means. They're either real estate investing, they're blogging, they do some something to earn money. It's not that I think that we still are, we're in the bridge between the traditional definition of retirement as not ever having a job again, and then this possibly future vision of what retirement is, and retirement is not being attached to someone else telling you what you need to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for, exactly. For us, we both do not want to have a job and are not trying to start a new company here, but right. you know, it really needs to be okay for other people to be retired and get a new job or start a new Whatever that right. needs to be okay. Yeah, yeah. No retirement police out there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you've really embraced this lifestyle. I mean, you guys have just been all over the the, the place. What countries have you in in this iteration in this uh, leg of your your travels? What countries have you been to? On this leg of our travels, let's see. So we only have two days left on this trip. Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this has been five months. And we are trying to slow travel, mm -hmm. so that's important to know. But that's Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, back to Thailand again. I keep forgetting that. And then into Vietnam and then into Japan. So that's all we've done in five months, which right. is a lot. Is that is a lot. What exactly meets the requirement of slow travel? For us, that means we don't land in a new city and have 10 sites we need to go see. We want to be somewhere for at least seven to 10 days at this point in our process. And that's because we're trying to get a feel and a taste for different places just so that we can learn where we're really comfortable. We need to keep doing that because we've only been to 15 countries. It's not like we're experts and <laughs> no, we've been everywhere. We The other day we met some gal who was 20 and she's been to 32 countries. So wow. <laughs> good yeah. for her. So yeah. we're taking it slow. We're getting to know different places. We're looking yeah. for places where we can stay for one month or three months. Yeah, we, we feel like we're on a research tour right now. Mm. Yeah, An expedition. Yeah, we love. <laughs> because at some point we would like to come into a country and, and, and stay in one location for 30 days or 90 days, depending on what the visa allows. Um, there are other countries that we can get longer, more extended visas. So we want to have a taste of some of these places before we decide to go after those longer visas. But right now, um, we also define our slow travel as in the day of travel doesn't count as kind of being in a location. And then the next day after your travel, that's the day you kind of recover and figure out where the grocery store is and figure out how your Airbnb works. And then you start going to do stuff. So we kind of throw away, in a way, the first two days when we land in a location. Right. Oh, that makes a lot of and, sense. And then it's, you know, we would love to have been there for seven to ten days total. 
we just stayed in Kyoto, Kyoto for two weeks. Oh, that was wow. nice. Yeah, that was wonderful, actually. We had a really good time there. Nice. nice. So I find this interesting that I think that the fact that you're doing this slow travel probably pairs well with this idea that you're trying to do it in a very cost-effective manner. Because those longer stays in places, you traditionally are probably getting some sort of discount for staying a little bit longer. Correct. and you're probably also looking for places where you're going to be doing things like not going out to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single time you need to eat. Right. Uh, so you're probably knocking down some of those most expensive expenditures when we travel. I mean, traditionally, dining out and hotel costs are the big things that eat into our budgets when we're traveling. And so you're trying to figure out how to bring those costs down. Right. Well, if we're deciding to stay in a place um, and get an Airbnb, we like to push it past usually seven days because then typically you get some sort of a discount for staying a week or longer. Mm -hmm. So we do that. And then we also try really hard to make sure that the Airbnb has enough of a kitchen that we can cook at least two meals a day there, if not three. And then we try to make sure we're near a good grocery store, or at least try to find one pretty quickly so we can, you know, for instance, have stuff to go do a picnic in a park. And then we do, Allie's really great with getting on Yelp and finding some really inexpensive places to eat for lunch. We were in Osaka and we found this little ramen shop mm. and... <laughs> <laughs> this guy, when we finally sat down and, you know, said, we want the ramen, we would like to have ramen. And he couldn't speak English. We couldn't speak Japanese. And we thought we were getting chicken, but we ended up with pork. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I said, okay, so how much is it? He said it was 200 yen a bowl. And that's basically $2 a bowl. Oh, wow. It's like $1.80. It, it was, it was, <laughs> it was insanely cheap. And it was some of the best ramen we've had. And I love ramen. It was the best ramen we've had in nice. Japan so far. It was nice. just wonderful. And it was just, you know, a couple blocks away from the Airbnb where we were staying. It was lots of fun. Yeah. You know, I will admit that that's one of the things that John and I like to do is we like to become locals as quickly as possible when we get somewhere uh, and yeah. don't go to all of the touristy. Yeah. People often ask us, did you visit this place and that place and do all this no. stuff? Like, no, we didn't actually. We stayed in the neighborhood and we sat at the coffee shop all day. <laughs> Watched people and ate local food. And Right. So I, I see how you're, you're managing your expenses, but there must be some income coming in from someplace or some money that's being infused into the, into the travel. Can you provide us a little bit of color of what that looks like? Yeah. So before we retired, our portfolio was kind of mixed in the sense that we had about 35% of our net worth in tax-deferred accounts like 401ks and IRAs and Roths. And then 40% of our net worth was in a taxable brokerage account. And then 25% of our net worth was tied up in our condo. And to make our whole FIRE number work and to create a portfolio that would throw off enough income for us to live, we decided to sell the condo and roll it into our taxable account. So now we're 40% of our portfolio is in the tax deferred and 60% is in our taxable account. So we're living off of dividends and some selling of stocks or ETFs 
to give us a little cash cushion to live off of during the year. And so then by doing that, you've really probably drastically reduced your income. So you don't have a tax burden. Yep. So you're able to live and go visit all these amazing places, do it uh, at a lower income than what probably most people would even consider. They may, may not even consider having an income that low. They wouldn't want to. They wouldn't feel comfortable, right? But because you yeah. can do this geo-arbitrage, you're taking advantage of a lower cost of living, but also a lower income and not having to be worried about taxes. Exactly. Right, exactly. I basically call it, we're manufacturing a lower income. Mm-hmm. by having a certain amount of dividends and then selling in a targeted way different assets or different stocks or different ETFs. And we're trying to keep that all down below the 12% tax bracket so we can take advantage of 0% capital gains. Oh, nice. nice. And if we have to sign up for Obamacare or the ACA when we come back to the States at some point, um, we'll be able to qualify for subsidies because we're also going to keep our income below the four times poverty rate. So in Washington state, which is where our legal residence is, we'll be able to get some pretty good subsidies through that. Gotcha. Nice. Okay. So now I've got a bunch more questions. Um, <laughs> okay. So what what healthcare are you on now that you're traveling, if any? Oh, we are. Yeah. We're oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we we only have what is it I think 44 days in the United States in 2019. So because that number is so low, getting ACA coverage is is not a worthy investment for us. So we declined that, mm-hmm. and we signed up for a global medical insurance program. We opted for something that it qualifies more as kind of catastrophic emergency type of coverage. And we are basically self-insuring ourselves for going to the dentist, getting your teeth cleaned, mm-hmm. or which we did in Chiang Mai, Thailand, yeah. for right. almost no dollars. That was awesome. so. We're doing a lot of kind of out-of-pocket, self-insured, lower-cost medical care. We're still taking good care of ourselves, right? But we do have medical insurance that covers us globally, including the U.S. for the whole year, and. We opted for kind of this maximum package, which covers us in the U.S., which is the more expensive way to do it. And we're thinking a lot about maybe next year opting for the worldwide coverage minus the U.S. and just bridging that with little bits of travel insurance for the periods that we're back in the U.S. That's a more affordable way to do it, but we wanted to go the safe route this time because it's our first time doing this. Right. Okay. I will say you guys wrote... (laughs) Two really great articles on your website about this. The research that you did for health insurance is one article that was really good. Very detailed. If you're considering doing what Allie and Allison are doing, this is an article you definitely want to read. And then the article about getting your dental work done. That was fun. (laughs) And which I think is so interesting because I think we have a geocentric view of healthcare in the United States that it's always the best. But healthcare has improved by leaps and bounds in so many other places in the world that other countries are definitely catching up to us. I mean, I know that there are some individuals who now actually go out of the country because of the way that doctors are more cost effective, but also the level of care in certain places in Mexico, some places in South America. It's just 
amazing to me how things are changing with healthcare. I'm not 100% remembering this particular story I'm going to share with you, but we follow another Instagrammer who was diagnosed with breast cancer on the road. And she ended up needing to have a double mastectomy. So she went through her breast cancer treatment all while she was on the road, all through the medical insurance that they had from traveling. And she's had a wonderful experience. And one of the most recent pictures I saw of her was, you know, hiking this nice pass, you know, with her arms raised up, all happy. So lots of other countries are doing a great job with healthcare. Wow, that's nice. We had an excellent experience when we were in in Chiang Mai, Thailand with our dentists and then doing some follow-up vaccinations for our travel vaccinations. And we will be getting our annual checkups, doing all of our blood work, doing our next dental exams, all in, it's not for sure exactly where yet, but somewhere in Central or South America at the end of the year, we're going to keep that going and really enjoying kind of doing more research on that. Nice. Wow. So if you do, if you haven't had a teeth cleaning in a while, follow Ellie and Allison's <laughs> blog. <laughs> and then you can go on vacation. <laughs> we'll include links to those articles on our show notes. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you. Of course. So if everything continues to proceed as you're calculating, how long do you think you can live this kind of a lifestyle? Well, the, the longer we are, we'll say, home free rather than homeless. But the longer we're home free, the more that kind of, you know, long-term money growth is going to protect us later on. But yeah. we're not trying to assign a real schedule to this. We just keep saying, we'll, we'll do it for as long as it's fun. We'll do it for as long as our families are doing well and they don't need us. If, for example, Allison's mom has health issues, we are there in a second because we have the freedom to do that. But right. I think it would be awesome if we could live like this for at least five years. I was going to say our five-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You haven't gone out further than that yet. Is to do it for five yeah. years. Yeah. So this is just complete, like, I think, mind shift for people that I just want to continue to do this kind of travel as long as it's fun. The minute somebody from my family needs us, we can be there because we don't have anything tying us down. What have you learned about yourselves life in general since going on this adventure and having this whole new perspective that doesn't require you to sit through a rush hour twice a day and to sit into a cubicle eight to 10 hours a day? I think the most amazing thing for us is the freedom to say yes to things. You know, in the past, we weren't able to get down to all the high school graduations of all the nieces and nephews, or we weren't able to help a friend out and help babysit their kids because we had other obligations. But you know, since we've retired, we've been able to go be some of our best friends, kids, special guests at their elementary school for the day because their grandparents couldn't come because they don't have grandparents anymore. And we're traveling through California here next week. And my youngest nephew's graduated from high school and, and we're going to spend the whole weekend with him and his family and my sister. So being able to say yes and to have that freedom has just been amazing. I would venture to say that I would get a resounding yes from you if I were to say that the no's that you've had to say in the past to make this happen have been worth it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I think that at least that that's a perspective that I've come from. And I, I think that many people struggle with this is the, well, I have to say no. 
I, I have to say no to my friends because they want to go to brunch or I have to say no because I can't get that pair of red bottom shoes or I have to say no because I can't have those particular jeans. But the yeses that you get to say now are so amazing. They're much more rewarding. And we're finding that being able to show up for people is more rewarding than any other money that we could have spent in the past, you know, worth more than any of the brunches or the vacations that we might have taken in the past and had to spend a ton of money for the short time. So I think to me what this speaks to the power of intention, as long as you know the kind of lifestyle that you want, you can accommodate, you can take advantage of the lifestyle that you have to try to get yourself to that point. Obviously, not everybody can move out of mom and dad's house and just travel for the rest of their lives, right? Right. A lot of us have to sort of build that foundation. But if you're intentionally living each day thinking, I'm going to create this sort of a lifestyle for myself five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, then it makes the daily grind maybe a little bit easier or provides a little more motivation to stick with it or to focus on what's more important and not get sucked into the idea of buying the red bottom shoes when you know you probably right. want to go to Thailand with your wife for 15 right. days. <laughs> right. I'm getting the impression there are some red bottom shoes out there that you really want. <laughs> I don't actually want any red bottom shoes, but David has a thing for them. <laughs> no, I don't. It, it, I, it, 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 it was just, I'm surprised he even knows what they are, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a common desire from female impersonators in Right, we the do LGBT we do actually community. talk with a lot of people in the LGBT community and we know several different performers and they spend a lot of money on their outfits that they don't necessarily have that, that they can't afford. It's a catch twenty two for them, right? They want to be a successful sure. performer, so they need to look right, but then it's also expensive to kind of as Dolly Parton says, to look that cheap. <laughs> <laughs> the cost so. of doing business. Yeah, yes. exactly, right. Yeah. So what three to five steps could you share with our listeners if somebody wants to sort of mirror your lifestyle or this sounds inspiring to them, they want to see if a version of your lifestyle would, would suit them. What three to five steps could you recommend? As long as they don't have to be in order. <laughs> we, don't agree. we don't agree on the order. For me, number one, you have to get out of debt, yeah. which I can say because I had to get myself out of debt. Yeah. 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 Getting out of debt is huge. Student loan debt, car loan debt, credit, credit card, card debt, debt yeah. all that stuff. All that unproductive debt, get rid of it. But then the next thing too is to really be able to articulate to yourself and to your loved ones, you know, what your hopes and dreams are and what your goals are. And then to really assign real numbers to those things. Because if you just kind of have a, you know, I hope someday that I can travel to Thailand, that's one thing. But if you say, I hope someday I'm going to travel to Thailand and I know it's going to take me $5,000 to get there, that's different and that's much more attainable. Mm-hmm. It's also a challenge to put down your, your real hopes and dreams and goals for yourself without getting confused by what other people right. yes. are thing is important to them or should be important to you, that is really hard to figure out Absolutely. for a lot of us. It took Allie and I some time to get to that point. Yeah. And how and would you say next- you got there exactly? Because that's a big hurdle oh I think gosh. a lot of people have. A lots of mistakes yeah. and then being really honest with each other when we made the mistake. No, you know? that's, that's important. Yeah. The houses that we had that we thought we could keep as rentals were huge mistakes. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because the houses were, I mean, the one that we bought, we bought it because we wanted to live in it 
and it was going to fit our emotional needs for living in Seattle. But it, it was too much of a capital outlay for a rental. We couldn't charge that much rent. You know, there's something out there called the 1% rule when you're trying to deal with rental properties that right. you need to be able to charge 1% of the home value in a year to really make it be cost effective. And we couldn't do that. So that was a mistake. And being able to admit that to each other made it easier to let that house go. And the same thing was true with the house that we inherited from my aunt in Canada. Today, we know the only good decision would have been financially financially would have been to sell it immediately. Yeah, we should have sold it immediately. But it was an emotional kind of inheritance. Mm -hmm. And right. so we chose together, talking all the time, to spend a fortune maintaining it and dealing with all the deferred maintenance issues and renting it to someone who couldn't pay enough to really help and yeah. creating more maintenance issues. I mean, that was really hard to let go of and really hard to admit Right. That it was not the right decision. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. But continuing on. <laughs> Our list. <laughs> Our list. Don't buy a new car. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't prepared for that one. No, it but wasn't. Was this, is, does this have to do with the leather seated, heated seats? Yes. Car? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want those, get the used one. But don't buy a new car. The depreciation on is terrible, and it's not a cost-effective way to spend that amount of money. And then max out your 401k. And I've had conversations with folks about this. We're always told, oh, start with 10%, and then move it to 15%. And, and then you, you're there. And then you're there. But if you're, for instance, I didn't make a huge salary when I was working. So 15% of my salary never maxed out my 401k. Right. It wasn't until I had this kind of aha moment that I needed to be really targeting the dollar value. And in 2019, I believe the maximum you can put in your 401k is $19,000, mm -hmm. yeah. which for me would have been way more than 15% of my income. Right. So having that shift in how you invest your money and identify how much you're going to invest, I think is hugely important. And then after that, save, 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 save everything else as you can. You know, always live below your means and try really hard to resist lifestyle inflation. That's the hardest for a lot of people, Yeah. including, you know, we had our challenges with that. But yeah. living below your means, every time you get a raise, you don't need to upgrade right. your life to match, yeah. you know, your income. Live below your means and resist that lifestyle inflation if we had fabulousness. Yeah. If, we had gotten, <laughs> if we had gotten all of those things right, we would have probably retired five years ago. Gotcha. But you didn't get all those things right, but you stuck to it. You continued to have those conversations and you were still eventually able to get there. Correct. Right. Yep. So Absolutely. making a lot of mistakes, you can still get there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So perfection so it, isn't necessarily required. It's just it is absolutely continue not to, to try to be better day to day. Right. Well, and I know for many of you who are listening that part of the reason why we wanted to share Alice and, and Allie's story is the fact that they are doing something that so few in our community feel like they've been able to do. And what I I love as we're listening to this story is the fact that you were intentional. You did focus on your hopes and dreams, which is what John and I always recommend is when you want to make some sort of financial progress. But then 
you're okay with the fact that you've made some mistakes, but you've realized how you can learn from those and improve. And that's all money is about reaching financial independence or being able to retire or be able to retire early. That's what it's really about is understanding the mistakes that you've made and improving upon them. And if you can learn something from what they've done or something that we've done and not have to make a mistake, please do so. (laughs) You're following Jim Rohn's advice. (laughs) Yeah. Learn from, Learn from others' mistakes. mistakes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, and we're we're sure you've all listened, enjoyed listening to Allison and Allie on our show, but they have their own platform. So, your relationship with them does not have to end after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a web a blog called All Options Considered, and you're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. It, and is it All Options Considered on all platforms? Right. It is. I think Twitter is our biggest weakness in the social media universe. It's sort of different on there. Twitter is all options underscore AOC. Okay. Because because the whole thing was longer than 15 characters or something. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And they share some great engaging content on there. So if you want to figure out how they're able to make this lifestyle happen and what they're learning on their way, uh, definitely a great resource to check out, especially if you need to clean your teeth. Just just don't follow their Instagram (laughs) when you're hungry because they (laughs) post a lot of really good food. Yeah, if you're on a diet, don't go to to Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) um, So I think it's pretty exciting that you're you're doing this because David and I I would love to see many, many more personal finance bloggers, fire bloggers, what whatnot, who are LGBTQ. What has the experience been like for you? We've just met in a lot of people online and, and had really great exchanges with folks and felt really welcomed and encouraged. Nothing negative thus far, as, as far as I'm concerned, all positive, all positive. Nice. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I do think John and I have also been surprised at how welcoming many online entrepreneurs or just traditional bloggers, maybe they're not actually entrepreneuring, it's just a, an outlet for them to express themselves or be creative, that how welcoming they have been of individuals in the LGBTQ community. We're very grateful. I mean, e- even individuals who come from or speak from a very conservative background have been very welcoming of us and of others in the community. And we just love that. Yeah. So come join us, gays, over here. <laughs> it's not just gays. Not just, not it's the whole crew community. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say the more voices there are across our... Um, on any topic. Yeah, on any topic yeah. across the LGBTQ community, I think the better. Right. Um, Absolutely. 100%. And I think it's because there's so many unique perspectives, right? The way that we have dealt with our financial experience or our money journey as a cis, gay, white couple is very different than you as lesbians, different from the frugal Philistine, who's a transgender individual speaking about their money journey. It's just all these voices are are important for people in the community to hear because we need a little bit of that perspective of, oh, I can identify with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and we're we're chatting with with a lesbian couple who are raising kids and they're going to probably fire next year at 35. Oh, wow. Wow. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. Jeez. 35 and they have a kid to do that. Yes. Yep. That's going to be exciting to hear. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story. This has been hugely inspirational and informational for us. So we appreciate that. And uh, we look forward to continuing to watch your travels across the globe. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you.
We'll look forward to talking to you guys again, hopefully soon. Thanks Thank for you. hanging out with us tonight. Yeah. <laughs> with this morning for you. <laughs> In the beginning of this episode, I said all I wanted to do was travel with my husband. Now, I also want ramen. Thank you, Allison and Ali, for sharing your inspiring and relatable stories. You're a true example that we can all live the lives we want with the power of intention, knowing our hopes and dreams, and having a plan. As you heard on this episode, perfection isn't required. So figure out what your dreams are. Not your friends, not your families, or society's dreams are for you. Figure out your dreams and start living intentionally. And whatever your dreams are, whether traveling nomadically like Allison and Allie, start your own cupcake shop, or designing your own video game, you will do it. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. To learn more about how our sponsor, Capital One, is reimagining their local spaces and experiences to have banking better fit your life, visit www.capitalone.com and follow them on social at Capital One Cafe. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.